Good evening, folks. Fleet Week. Back again. A lovely Sunday afternoon. Sunday evening here. Afternoon right in stateside. I believe that's correct. That's what the time appears to suggest it is. Um, I hope everyone is well. An eventful week in the land of all elite wrestling. Much to discuss. Let me tweet a couple links here and we'll get to business. But obviously, as many of you know, I'm sure all of you know, in fact, they're watching this. Um, you know, this is not the first time doing a live stream focused on AEW this week. Wednesday night, <laughs> after the spectacular main event that closed that show, I felt I had no choice but to hop on Twitch and, you know, hang out for an hour and change. And, uh, you know, we talked about professional wrestling for a little bit. There is going to be some overlap, obviously, in content. Hopefully, I keep it fresh and fun for you guys nonetheless because I have rewatched the show. I've actually rewatched the main event a handful of times um, because I want to do a review of it, which hopefully will be here before long. Um, good evening, everyone. I see everyone in the chat. I see many all hows. I see uh, MLW pervert allegations. I see Joey Bing Bong. What I'm saying is I see a great time. Let's speak about Bobby for a minute. It's croaky boy. Post that wonderful um, emoji thingy. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but he had some content last night that will live forever. I don't know if you guys caught this, but apparently Bob was drunk last night and he was tweeting these sort of triumphant victory laps, which I respect. You know, I tweet those regularly and I, I don't drink. Um, but what we really got that was exciting was we got this, this selfie. Dukes brings it up here. We got this selfie where Bob had his thumb up, which is a nice sentiment, right? We're all familiar with the thumbs up, right? But for whatever reason, in typical Bob fashion, he took the thumbs up and gave it his own sort of um, shocking spin. Uh, and what I mean by that is he took the photo just close enough an angle that you could just kind of see the, 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 the print itself. There wasn't much triumph to that thumb. It was more of a statement of sorts. Um, honestly, I found it to be quite threatening and was as vaguely uncomfortable with the whole thing. Um, I don't know if he's made any kind of statement about that. I don't know where you guys stand on it. Personally, I think he could have done a better job of framing the photo. But nonetheless, he looked very happy. And, um, you know, we're always happy to see Bobby happy. All right, so there you go. If you're interested in where Bob's at, he's in the uh, he's he's in the woods with his farm up. I don't even know if he's, I don't, I don't think he's in the woods. Is he? Where is he? He's outside somewhere. Um, which is obviously a feat because, you know, maybe he'll even touch grass, right? That piece of shit. Anyway, I'm just playing. We all love Bobby. Let's talk All Elite Wrestling. It was quite the week in AEW. Um, of course, Fighter Fest is here, uh, which is one of the many television specials that AEW produces. Of course, it once was like an actual special right initially it was like one of the one of the second or third show they produced i'm not sure which i want to say third um and obviously in recent years it's become dynamite which makes sense because back then dynamite wasn't a thing so it's become kind of a a go-to i don't remember if last year was also a two-parter but this year is a two-parter i think or is it just rampage anyway who cares nonetheless Firefest was a thing that happened. It has a very funny name. And I think it's fair to say that while Dynamite, I believe, was one of the best episodes they've done, I don't think anyone is sitting here surprised about that. I have talked a lot this year about if you look at a lot of the best Dynamites of the year, 
I think common, you know, um, what do you call it? There was no rampage this time last year. Thank you, Andrew. You're right. It was August. Um, I think contrary to popular belief, I actually think most of the best episodes of Dynamite this year have been easy to spot from a mile away going in. Um, I know there's this this general belief that like it's the shows you don't expect to be good that are great. To an extent, yeah, but if you look at the best Dynamites this year, they all look fucking ridiculous on paper. This one did. This one had a lot of matches of like main event um, caliber. TNC title, Moxley and Takeshita, the actual main event itself. Um, you know, that's that's a lot. And then you add in Claudio's TV singles debut, or Dynamite debut, whatever the hell you want to call it, Dynamite singles debut. It was a pretty um, headline-worthy card. So I'm not surprised the show was great. I will say that the, the moment we closed, we have made it, you know, especially memorable. I think we can all agree on that. That was the kind of closing statement that actually, as great as Dynamite is, and as much as it's, you know, I often use the word prolific, right? I think Dynamite is consistently spectacular. But I will say that if you go through a lot of the episodes, it very seldom closes with the biggest, you know, statement. Very seldom is the closing punch the hardest one thrown on an episode of Dynamite. This was one of those occasions. Um, I think it's, you know, one of the best endings they've ever done, one of the best moments they've produced so far. So we'll get into that here very shortly. In fact, let's get to it right now. Let's get into Dynamite. Let's start with the, with the headline, literally, and kind of in this nerdy, in this nerdy bubble here, because Crokey mentions opener often is the biggest match. Perfect example is Arthur Ashe, right? Which, I mean, not the Ruby and Brit was bad, but it just kind of was it was just kind of flat, right? And Arthur Ashe opened that Dynamite open with an an all timer. That's been more common in Dynamite history than you may realize just off the top of your head. Um, nonetheless, let's start with the main event: the Triple Threat Tag Team Taz, Swerving Our Glory, and the Young Bucks, who obviously won the belts. I believe it was a twenty-eight day reign. Someone in the chat said the other day. Um. I was very, hmm, I wasn't particularly enthralled by the idea of this match. Hold up, let's talk it through here as a family. Number one, I didn't think there was any chance that either team, either challenging team won the belts, okay? So I was like, oh man, you're doing the same thing again and they're not going to win again. And that's why sometimes you can get, you know, kicked in the dick for, for assuming. Um, in addition, AEW actually did very, very few if any, triple threat tags for a while there. And now it feels like they're doing them every turn. Watching this match, I have a theory, and it's a working theory. I don't know if there's any credence to this or any evidence of it, if anyone has discussed this on a match. I think the Young Bucks may be intrigued by this format and what you can do with it. And the reason I bring this up is one of the main issues I have with triple threat tag matches, fatal four-way tag matches, is that generally, no matter who the wrestlers are, they will fit into a very traditional formula. By traditional, I don't mean that they're going to grab a hold. I mean that it's become formulaic now. We, we, it's like everyone knows the beats of these matches, you know? Generally, the length comes down because there's less downtime and it's more, you know, move heavy, so to speak. Um, so it's kind of become a thing to me where it, it minimizes the talent involved because it, it's almost guys just playing the same role we've seen 101 times. I think with this, and to a lesser extent, but still, you know, still I think it adds to the the argument with what happened at Revolution with Red, with Red Dragon and Dress Express. 
I think the Bucks see something in this match type, in this match format, that maybe a dumb fuck like myself failed to see going in. Um, this is one of the most brilliantly put together matches in the history of the promotion. I'm the reason there is not a review of mine already out about this, a written review that is, is because I've struggled to capture it. It is a masterpiece in that all six guys look great and do their thing well, while also coloring just outside of the lines enough that they show you stuff you've never seen them do before, which is honestly bonkers to even think about. Um, I mean, even Keith, as far as I know, in AEW, he's not done the big dive over the top. He's done the one where he just fucking pulls himself over and does like a flip and it, <laughs> it looks incredible. This was the big running leap. Um I think he'd done that in AEW. And it was just such a unique triumph in terms of um, the way it was put together, the way it was executed. Obviously, you have no doubts on the execution front. I mean, these are six of the best talents in the world. Obviously, everything looked great. Doesn't surprise me one bit. But I was um, amazed, you know, that the, the, the way they the way they managed to give this actual substance and depth and storytelling detail in a fashion that legitimately I don't think I've ever seen to this degree in a triple threat tag. The Red Dragon one had elements of it, don't get me wrong. And maybe I'm forgetting really obvious examples and really great triple threat tags. But to me, this was like on a different level to anything I could even compare it to in the in the genre, so to speak. Um, it was unbelievable. It really, really was. And I don't want to do that thing where I just give all the credit to the Bucks for that because like we don't know, right? None of us was there when they put the match together. But man, it sure felt like it had the Bucks' fingerprints all over it from a from a match layout point of view. Um, there was a level of like innovation, but understanding the audience and how this crowd's going to work. That honestly, I mean, this is no slight to the other four gentlemen in the match; they're all great in their own right. But it's got the Bucks. You know, that's that's their that's their absolute specialty. Beyond all the flips, all the moves, and people can call them what they want, they are masters of understanding what this audience is going to react to. Um, just a fabulous, fabulous match. So, like the Revolution match, this went longer than your usual multi-man tag, or multi-team tag, I should say. And it was worth every minute of it. I thought they maintained it perfectly. There was a little bit of heat in there that actually kind of hit in the ad break where Team Taz took over. But mostly, it was just just these wonderful kind of um, set pieces and, and sequences and such. It was tremendous. Um as for the finish, this is something I've been very consistent on. You guys probably heard me talk about this most on Wednesday. But this was one of the more shocking title changes in the history of the promotion. I see Dukes brings up the Brody squash. I think Brody winning wasn't surprising, but I agree the way they did it was surprising. I think this is the most surprising pure switch. This actually was stunning, I thought. I thought if the Bucks were going to lose them, Team Taz were going to win them. <laughs> and I wouldn't give them more than 10% chance of doing so. I just thought it was more likely than swerving our glory. But I think anyone, no matter how locked in you are to the FTR thing, which, you know, I'm sure some people are locked into that. That's fine. We all, do have, we all have our issues with when we fantasy book. But if you watch it for where it is and you just judge what they gave you, I think it's impossible to see this and be like, they made a mistake. I think the reaction you got here very much proves that, you know, this was actually saying the audience wanted more than any of us may have fully grasped before that, you know, so... It was just a wonderful moment. There was something bizarrely touching about it, even beyond... I mean, I saw Keith's post-match promo, not promo, post-match speech, which does certainly add some emotional weight to the thing. But I, even beyond that, as someone who wasn't really aware of what was going on with Keith, there was just 
it felt like these guys were truly proud and, and delighted to have had that moment. So I, I couldn't be happy for them. I couldn't be happy for all involved. They, they should be very proud of this match. It was one of the great, um, one of the genuinely one of the great dynamite matches, great dynamite moments. So I loved it. I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about that as a concept in general and then what's next. So in terms of title reigns go, the tag titles have been mostly done by this, the imaginary, um, the imaginary playbook of, you know, wrestling's right and wrongs, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, it got underway with a pretty short reign, but then was built on the back of Hangman and Omega. FTR dropping them as quick as they were is one of those things that's more and more um, confusing in hindsight than in real time. Because in real time, as soon as the Bucks put that stip on, it kind of felt like they had to do a switch. So really what you've had is, if you look at the years of the promotion, 2020, it was built around Hangman and Omega. and 2021, it was clearly built around the Young Bucks. Since they dropped those belts, it's been different. I, I mean, I think that just is what it is. And we'll talk about the Lucha Bros later on this show. And I think their match this week actually showed why they wasn't, as great as they are, they wasn't the same level of champions as the Young Bucks. They dropped them to Jurassic Express, who I think did admirably in the ring, but aren't quite compelling enough to have been the centerpiece for a division. And now we find ourselves here. The Bucks were the bridge to get them on Swerve in our glory. Um, this was the shortest tag title reign yet. I'd imagine it's one of the shortest reigns they've done full stop beyond the, the Scorpio, Sammy, back and forths. Um, and I guess Cody, maybe. Cody's last one. But um, I'm a big proponent of, like, the reason long title reigns are memorable and the reason long title reigns matter is because not every reign is long. Every reign goes six months because that's what everyone deserves to have. What is What does a six-month title reign mean, you know? There should be no guarantee that a guy is going to keep that belt, especially a two-time champ who doesn't need to be keeping the belt, which is what the Bucks... I mean, the Bucks don't need any kind of belts at this point, man. They're legends, you know what I mean? It is what it is. So I just love um, what they did here, and I hope a lesson has been learned in terms of... Very few things in wrestling are bad based on what they are or what they're trying to achieve. It's how often you do them and how you do them, you know? There's definitely a misconception, in my view, that every title reign needs to have a certain length and has to have a certain you know, stature in terms of defences. It's not the case. This was the right move. It feels exciting. The tag division needed some help up top. It has increasingly become, you know, like a, a, a trio of top teams. I would even argue a pair because I think Lucha Bros have been so elsewhere. Bucks and FTR, and then there was this huge drop to the mid-card teams. This match actually did what, you know, the, the Observer quote, which I'm sure came from someone pretty close to the thing, um, I, I think he achieved that. I brought both teams up. So with that in mind, let's talk about Swerve and our glorious champs. I don't know how long this reign is going to be. I don't necessarily think it has to be a long one or even should be a long one. It feels like Team Taz should be getting these belts at some point, right? It really does. Um, I'm aware of what everyone wants with FTR and the Young Bucks. I think you're going to get it in some form or fashion eventually. But it really feels like when you look at the picture right now, as much as I think there's a place for Ricky and Hobbs to be pushed as top singles guys, it sure feels like they should be getting those tag belts of how this story has been told. You know, of course, because Ricky lost the uh, he got he took the pin here. Do I think there's a chance personally that the Bucks get these things back and go straight back to um, to the FTR plan? I do think there's a chance to do that. Do I think that's an issue? No, I don't. Um, I think this is actually a case of let's see what they want to do with Swerve and Keith, who are a very, very unique, um, very unique dynamic. Here's for why. They are an incredible team. 
Like, seriously, spectacular as a tag team. I think Team Taz is a good team because they're two very good wrestlers paired together and they have, they have chemistry, and that's like, yeah, that makes sense. They're a good team. They're a very good team, even. But there have been moments during this tag run between with, with Swerve and Keith where I think they've come across as like a world-class tag team. So you find yourself in a unique position where it's like, when you do this angle, you've burnt that, which isn't a problem necessarily. You know, there's there's definitely something to be said for for maximizing both guys as singles. But personally, this is just my opinion, I wouldn't be in any rush to split these guys up. Um, you're going to have to get there eventually. You know, both guys have got other stuff to offer as, as singles wrestlers. But for me, I, I think there's there's definitely something to be said for just, just keeping them a team for now because I think the tag division needs them more than people may fully appreciate. But that's just me. Um, I do agree with this. Team Taz certainly shine bright on Wednesday. I think you're going to... I think you're going to see this feud continue in some form or fashion. I think they're going to chase these belts, which is going to be interesting because, again, if they lose again, it's like it's kind of it's kind of one of those deals where it's like you feel like you have to move them on from them as a team. Um, so we shall see. Last week, here on Fleet Week, we had a pretty extensive conversation about Wardlow. Right, We talked about it at length, about what this rank can look like and the kind of matches uh, you can do and whether you can do babyface matches so on and so forth. Uh, why do I have 15 notifications? Um, okay, it's actually not anything bad. That's good. Um, so I'm looking here at Wardlow. Last week we talked about all the different matches you can do and whether you can do babyface matches without things, you know, kind of turning against the big man. And about a day after we did that show, Orange Cassidy was introduced as his next opponent via a impromptu sudden match graphic that caught everyone off guard. This is the kind of bold and brave booking that I think Tony Khan is increasingly aware he can get away with because the roster is so strong. I mean, we're looking at a roster that's down like 10 players, important players, and it still easily can churn out hours of TV without any kind of quality dip, in-ring anyway. So this is the kind of booking that I, I appreciate. I think you could actually, you're probably going to see more of in the coming months and years. It also is the kind of booking that, honestly, the belt needs right now. Um Wardlow brings a certain prestige back to the belt and a certain importance to the belt that, you know, is it's very much needed. I like Scorpio Sky a lot. He doesn't have that. By hook or by crook, whether it's booking or him, he has never felt like a big deal. Um, we've debated this before, which side of it is, you know, on him and which isn't. We don't need to do it again. But for Wardlow, um, he's a guy the audience perceives as a top guy. And at the last pay-per-view... He beat MJF, you know, clean the middle in about five minutes with 101 power bombs. So he was in as a main eventer. He had CM Punk beat in the middle of the ring, you know, four or five months ago. He's he's a real the real deal. That brings the belt up, but you have to, you know, give him a chance to succeed in terms of the star quality opposite him. It can't just be him squashing guys. I've been consistent. There. I believe that. This was encouraging sign. Because um, I think it kind of shows an awareness of, of how that could that could go wrong. So this match was interesting because I saw it was vaguely, you know, kind of slightly divisive. I don't really get why. I thought it was pretty much perfect for what they needed to do. Ultimately, what you got here was 12 minutes out of a Wardlow match. That in my view, anyway, and people can disagree, but I didn't think it hurt his aura or, you know, his presentation at all, honestly. Um, quite the opposite. I actually thought it made him come across pretty awesome. So that's just me. And what this does is, in theory, this unlocks 
a range of potential babyface matchups, some of which I listed last time. But like, for example, after seeing this, I'm much more confident you can do a weird Wardlow John Silver match, you know? Where Wardlow wrestles with that kind of endearing big brother respect. And you get them to buy it on one big false finish or, or hope spot, and that's all you need. You can go six, seven minutes. I think you can do something with the winner of Dante and Lee Moriarty, where again, as that kind of that big brother vibe that Wardlow can project as kind of the monster who's not an asshole. I think it works. I'm really intrigued by him giving Dustin Rhodes a shot, which I think I mentioned last time out. Um, do not be surprised if he wrestles Paul White at some point. Pop. Um, I think him and Trent would actually be a genuinely good professional wrestling match. So there you go. Um, a couple ones that are more kind of blockbuster. These intrigue me. Now, one of these is, it could either make sense now or you save it, right? Ray Phoenix is an interesting one. Now, you could either keep the him away from the Lucha Bros until they've done their feud with Andrade and Rouge, which could go on for a while. Or, by contrast, you could literally announce this match for this week's TV and do some shit with Andrade and Rouge on the finish and be fine for it. I think Ray Phoenix and Wardlow would be fucking awesome. So, by the way, to be clear, these are all just babyface matches. Like, this isn't even mentioning, you know, Hobbs and Malachi and all those big matches on the hillside. This is just me looking at kind of weird babyface TV matches. Um, if we imagine that next Saturday, or this Saturday, I guess now, Wheeler Uta loses the pure title, and he's, you know, he's, he's looking at Claudio and Mox with their belts, maybe, just maybe, you could do something with him and, and Wardlow, I think would be good. Darby and Wardlow, I think would be an absolute just thrill ride. So that's a potential pay-per-view one, honestly. But there's just a, a group of babyface matches that I think personally I'll be much, much more confident booking after seeing this because of just seeing how how he worked this match. I think he can really pull it off. I agree. Him and Joe, I think, is a really good one. Um, Joe is someone who will be very interested in terms of schedule. Hopefully he's actually back, like, for real. After Saturday, I'm not sure what the case is. Genuinely, I don't know. He may be um, he may be just coming back to drop that belt and then he'll be back later. But yeah, certainly, if he's around, I know that he said he wanted to work Hobbs was the guy he pen he like pointed out. Um, I don't remember him talking about Wardlow, but I agree with you. That'd be fucking awesome. It's about two cool badasses, right? That'd be fun. Um, so, on the orange side of things, I think it's fair to say that you know, the kind of general read and something we talked about on this show is, is accurate, which is that he's very, very important right now to them with a kind of thinner roster than usual, as good as the roster still is. He gives them a certain degree of star power in his very own unique way. He's a guy you can beat, who will always stay over, who can do comedy, who can do multi-man tags with the best friends, but can also give you a big-time singles main event. He's very, very special in that regard. Um, I am interested, though. We are now six weeks, maybe? away from All Out, and I'm intrigued if he has anything on the docket for that, because if you look at the Hill side of things, everyone is mostly catered for, which we're going to talk about more in a minute with Moxley. It's kind of an interesting time in that regard. Um, you could pen, you know, send him back in the direction of the men of the year. I don't think that's what you would do or what they will do. Scorpio, I don't even think is around right now because I think he's hurt. So I think that's... Um, going to be an interesting thing to watch. Like, what does Orange actually do at the pay-per-view? Because clearly his usage, they're aware of how much they need him right now. So if I look at my heel 
lineup here. Jericho could be available. But we don't think we want to run back him and Orange again. Christian Cage is catered for. Malachi Black is fighting Sting, Darby, and Miro. Andrade is fighting the Lucha Bros. You've got Sammy and Daniel Garcia, who are uh, Jericho Appreciation Society, which could happen, but again, then you're putting him back in the Jericho net, which I would be wary of. Brody is with Malachi. Scorpio could be off the board. And then you've got Leaf and Leaf and Page. There isn't necessarily an obvious answer, other than what don't have an app mentioned, which I'll get to, regarding Moxley. This does feel like a potential bat signal moment. Seeing that match just be announced was like, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I don't know if I would do the Wardlow thing they did if they if I knew I was going to put Orange at Moxley, but we shall see. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Speaking of Moxley, let's go to that. Moxley and Takesh Trapsy tore it up. It's actually better than I thought it would be, and I thought it would be damn good. I honestly think Takeshita's TV matches have got better with each go. Uh, I thought the Lethal match was very good. I thought the Hangman match was better. I thought the Eddie match was better than that. And I thought this was the best one by actually, I, I thought pretty sizably so. Um, I was genuinely kind of taken aback by how much better I thought this was than the Rampage match, which is a feat because I love the Rampage match. I think at this point, we all know how special Takeshita is and what they have in him. I think the really interesting thing to watch for is who is the TV follow-up or what is the TV follow-up for Takeshita this week on TV. And I think it should be this week. After two straight weeks there, you know, I, I think you need to have something for him this week on TV. It doesn't have to be a match, but you need some sort of follow-up. This could be a range of things. It could be something that aligns him with other baby faces. For example, um, it could very, very simply be aligning him with the Blackpool Combat Club in some form or fashion or taking a step in that direction. It could be something... Um, I've mentioned your Ortiz team. It could be something in that direction. Uh, I don't know, but something in that kind of... Uh, in a story sense, I think would be a, would be a fun deal. So there's that. Um, I will say, though, I think if nothing else, this is how I would like to see on TV over the next, you know, month, I think, would be... Would be like a fair timeline, ideally less. Uh, I'm not 100% sure when when that is. Yeah, I don't know. Someone in the chat may know. Um, very simple playbook, very simple formula. He's done this before. This is what I'd like him to do with Takeshita. At some point, let's give him some promo time in a backstage interview. I think, you know, ideally, if it's pre-tape especially, let Takeshita actually talk for a little bit. And, you know, I, I think I've seen enough of him speaking that I think he can do that. And he would, it would only add to his appeal. Then have a heel, an underneath heel, insert themselves and do the deal about, you know, you've, you've been looking great, but you're not winning matches. Some back and forth to catch the makes a fall of them and you set up a match for that week's rampage. Very, very simple. They've done it a million and one times with other wrestlers. Here are some names you could do that with. All right. This is the one that I think it will be Tony Nice. Tony Nice coming up with Smart Mark Sterling and dunking on Takeshita for not winning these matches, only for Takeshita to reply that Tony Nice has never won those matches, would be fine and fun, and I think their match would be fucking awesome. That's what I think will be, is the most likely one. Unlikely, but is vaguely appealing to me because of Pops, is Bobby Fish, who I think will be kept out of it just because he is tied to the Bucks, I guess, still. Uh, I don't really know what you do with... with um, I don't really know what you'd do with Bobby Fish. But he's going to be around, so maybe you could, you know. Takeshita and Sammy had a really good match in DDT four years ago. Honestly, that would be awesome, but I'm 
like legitimately, I'm thinking guys just below that tier because I think Sammy's more protected. Now. Does that make sense? But yeah, that match should be great to run back at some point. Um, the one that I would like to do, especially for my friend confirmed shoot that I do not think they'll do, but I think it'd be fun, is Angelico. I would like for Takeshi to be doing a backstage interview and Angelico to do that that dumb dance that he does. Not dumb, actually, very cool dance he does across the screen and talk some shit, and then you know they sell their match for Rampage. I think that match could go seven minutes and would pop me tremendously. I actually think Angelico is someone who could be on TV more than he is. He ain't going to be pushed. He's very useful, I think, as a guy who loses underneath, though, and he doesn't really serve that, that purpose very much for them. So, Nice is my prediction or expectation. Fish and Angelico on different ends of the scale are ones that would pop me personally. So, there are some uh, some potential Takesh to follow-ups that could be nice little wins to kind of you know, get him on the right track. As for John Moxley, who was extraordinary on Wednesday, that's one of my favorite Moxley performances. Um, he is in an interesting spot because we were just talking about the lack of heels, and we'll get to Orange Cassidy in a second. But so Moxley came back in January, right? Third, fourth week of January around that. He has had 25 matches in AEW since then. Now, I'm no mathematician, but I think if you have a glance at your calendar, you'll realize that's a lot of matches. He is a fighting champion as world champion. That hasn't changed. He's going to wrestle. He's wrestling next week in the Tag of Orange, which we'll get to. But I have to ask, are we just biding our time here? Are we killing time with Moxley as champion? Or are we going to get a feud of some kind? If so, who? Malachi Black, I thought was going to be where they went. I thought they were going to use the Brody King match to sell for Malachi Black, House of Black versus Blackpool Combat Club situation. They haven't done that. Malachi is going elsewhere, which is fine, but that means he's off the board. Andrade, as I said, elsewhere. Team Taz, I think you could do it. I certainly could see a world in which John Moxley wants to work powerhouse Hobbs. Moxley is worth noting, sorry, that Hobbs is fifth in the AEW rankings, which feels relevant because he hasn't won a single match in about four months. So there's definitely a reason he's appeared on those rankings. So look for Moxley and powerhouse Hobbs as a match along the way. Another thing to look for, potentially, and we're going to get into this more later, if Jericho and Eddie is indeed the blow-off, do not be surprised if we get some Jericho and Moxley business because obviously it'd be easy to set up considering where we just came from with those guys, their history, so on and so forth. Jericho is in play, uh, whether that's exciting or not. I think it's a thing. Jay Lethal, I think, is off the board simply because I think he's actually going to win the TV title, which I think kind of will kind of by default take him out of you know world title contention. It is worth noting, though, He's ranked higher. So if he loses to Joe, he may be a win or two away from going in that direction. Him and Moxley did have a very good match on TV, even if, you know, wouldn't be the most exciting option for a range of reasons. Would Christian work? Toby Suicida asks. Uh, maybe have Jungle Boy make his return during the match. Um, it would work. It feels like the kind of thing you're saving for down the line. But, yes, that's definitely an option. It's just the way they're pacing Christian right now, it doesn't feel like that's what they're going to do before he's back to me. Um what about Paige? I assume it's about Hangman. Hangman is in an interesting spot. I, I don't know. We talked about this a little bit on the grin on Friday. I'm not here, you know, probably some sort of emergency, you know, to set the alarm or anything. But I do feel like he's kind of cold right now. I feel like they've kind of lost their way a little bit with him. I, I think there's a reason. I think they're kind of seeing him on his own path so that him and the Bucks can do something. Um, but the result is he kind of feels like he's on the outside looking in, which, again, might be the idea. 
Orange Cassidy is interesting because there's a reason, you've got to assume there's a reason they've booked this best friends tag here. You know? That that thing is that part of it is is interesting to me. Um Orange going into that program after losing to Wardlow would be weird, but like he's orange, would it really matter? Probably not. Let's look for what they do in that tag. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think it's interesting. So I don't know. We'll see what happens with Mox. There are obviously options. I just think it's kind of kind of intriguing that a lot of the the obvious ones, you know, aren't don't don't jump off the page necessarily. Uh, you're right, Tope. I did choose not to engage with your profile pick. Um, Mox versus Sammy leading leading Jericho. Both TV matches. Maybe Jericho battle of the belts. Yeah, it does feel like Jericho's in play. I don't know how I feel about that though, from like a Jericho Kingston perspective. It feels kind of like a, I don't know. Eddie feels like the kind of match you, that you'd only do if you had to do something for all that. That wasn't punk, to be honest. Or it was our fresh, you know. I just think it's too big at this point to do along the way. That's just me. I mean, it's it's certainly feasible. Um, okay, we will get to this down the line because I was talking to shoot about this earlier, and we both agree that like. While we would be hesitant, the hangman turn is not as unfeasible as I think people may believe it to be. I wouldn't expect it or predict it, but it definitely feels more possible than than you maybe necessarily would have guessed six months ago. You know, like it feels potentially in play. Again, I would expect Bucks to turn babyface instead because they've kind of been wrestling that way, honestly. You know, like I mentioned in the in the main event, the team team Taz got heat, the Bucks didn't really. They got they cheated, but yeah, that's their charm really at this point. So I think they'll turn babyface, but it'll be interesting. You could go the other way. All right. That was from Dynamite. Some of the, you know, kind of covered the big stories from Dynamite. These are a couple other things too. Claudio got his first singles win on TV under his belt up against Jake Hager. Um, it has to be said, all bits aside, and I know we had some fun about this on Wednesday night, and I was obviously being slightly performative. Jake Hager has, you know, has been pretty damn good as of late. Um... I assume it's genuinely a contract year because he signed in October 2019. So maybe he's, or maybe he's training for a fight. I don't know. Obviously, he's in great shape, which God bless him. Good luck to him. Um, but it's been kind of impressive to me how he's performed against both Eddie and Claudia. Now, I'm aware of what I just said. He's wrestling Eddie and he's wrestling Claudia. I mean, I, I understand, but. He's been pretty good in those matches. I don't think it's fair to just deem them as complete carry jobs. I like this match a lot. Had its own kind of flavor to it. It was really physical and grueling. I like the way both guys sold throughout. Claudio is, you know, where's the left so bad, dude? I mean, he's so special. One of the most spectacular in-ring performers, not only of this generation, but honestly, historically so. He's just very, very special. I mean, I, I don't want to keep going back to this point, but I think it is important. He was at such a point in terms of perception because of booking and because of all that stuff. Like, there was genuinely debate about, you know, what do you, like, do you sign Claudio? It's like, that shows you kind of how much they fucked up with him in some ways at the end there because it was only a year ago he was wrestling Roman and stuff, you know? It's strange. I don't know, I don't know what the deal is with, with that. I'm, I'm glad to say that I think it's mostly gone now. I think everyone's aware, yes, you signed Claudio Castanoli any day of the week, twice on Sunday. He's a brilliant wrestler. It sure feels like this time next week he's in the ring of the world's champion, which, you know, felt like an end game when they made it clear. Hager said that line, you've never been world champion, not in ring of honor, not in WWE. It felt like that was where they were going. I did not think they were going to go there at death before dishonor. I thought that was going to be like a, you know, a 
a full scenario, maybe even final battle itself. Clearly not. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's a formality necessarily, but I would expect Claudio to win. So I'm just delighted to see him in this spot. So elsewhere, Serena Deeb and Anna Jay, which was a match that on first watch I did not think much of. I actually thought it was quite bad. On on revisiting it, it was better than I recalled. And I, I just, you know, I think I was probably unfair to it on, on the first go of this. Um, there was still, though, and this was part of what I, my issue was the first time around, it's like Anna Jay is a really interesting prospect because she clearly has like good fundamentals and like there's, there's ingredients there in ring. I'm talking purely in ring here because I've seen, you see moments in terms of like her timing and stuff that are really encouraging. But at the same time, it's like there's this noticeable, and I, I mean this, I don't have a fucking clue what I'm talking about. It's just one guy's opinion, right? You guys may disagree or agree. I don't know. It's, it may make sense to what I'm saying. There is like a noticeable hesitation in her like movement out there, you know? Like it always feels like she's a, she's like pulling her punch a little bit or a little what she's not fully commit or trust her instincts. It feels like from an absolute, you know, someone who knows nothing, looking, just watching professional wrestling. That's what it looks like to me. I wanted to look at how active she's been this year. So she has wrestled. Um, 25 matches this year. This was the 25th match this year, which is not by any means um, a bad number, right? I mean, that's almost each week. That's that's fine. However, and this is where I think, you know, you can kind of delve into it a little bit more. This was just the eight for those matches to cross five minutes. Moreover, this was only the third of those eight that were singles matches. The two prior to this were against Jade. Now, the first match with Jade was a complete hit, the second one much less so. But I think it was very apparent in the Jade matches that they were very tightly, you know, um, I hate using the word choreographed, but they were very clearly more routine, you know, than, than like just going there and wrestling. And I think that's dangerous for someone's progression. Um, I don't think this is an emergency situation. Anna Jay is super young. But three singles matches going over five minutes in a six-month stretch, two of which being against the same opponent who is more green than you, I don't know if that's the way to fix this. Now, I don't know what the answer is. I, I genuinely don't know because I think there's a, the easy way to go is, well, go and work the indies, and I'll just be totally transparent. I think there's a lot of bad things you can pick up on those same indies that people are, you know, telling. There's some great spots. There's some bad ones. Depends who you're working and where it is. But I do think reps are important. In an ideal world, you would have live events that Serena Deeb could wrestle energy on every weekend. That ain't this world. And there's a lot of goods that come with that. And there's a couple negatives. I think this is one of them. Um, it's, it's interesting. We'll see how it goes. Obviously, Serena is a great pro. She kept this on track. And I actually thought the match itself was fine. I, I, I want to be clear about it because I'm not here to kind of pretend it was bad. I, it was fine. But I do think Anna's performance individually, when paired with what she looked like in the second Jade match, I think is a suggestion that maybe something should be done internally. Um, there's a couple of options. Jason brings up Japan. JJ brings up Ring of Honor. The problem with Ring of Honor is I'm a big fan of her going there. The issue is the schedule um, The schedule in Ring of Honor is probably going to be even less so than it is in AEW. So in that sense, it will not be a traditional um, developmental, you know, because I don't think that's what they're going for. I think you're probably going to run a show a month, two shows a month, so... It won't help in that regard. It could still help in other ways. Um, I think generally, Jason's suggestion is one that's most intriguing. 
Because quite frankly, and I mean this with all love, but if your TV can't survive without Anna Jay not being around for three or four months, I don't know what you've... I mean, the roster's way deep enough to get away with that. So I think, you know, I, I think that would be a good idea. Sending her to a, a Japanese promotion or wherever it may be, just booking her in Japan at different spots would be, would be something. So, Andrew, I have not forgot your question. I'm probably going to do it on the bird at some point. Um, but there you go. Anna Jay... Uh, still very, very exciting prospect, I'm wrong, but I did I did think this was a worthwhile topic because her performance on Wednesday, while not terrible or anything, I think kind of showed a little bit of stagnation. So, Rampage, show you've been waiting on. If it was a slight kind of step down for Rampage on the norm, I think their shows are usually better than this, but there was still some good stuff on here, um, even if one kind of surprising miss for me in the main event. Let's talk about the highlight of the show first. Um, it is worth saying because I don't know for sure. Uh, I think this probably already happens. I've seen Serena Deeb cited as like a player coach quite a lot. I just think it's, you know, that stuff, the results of it are kind of, it's not going to be foolproof, I guess is what I'm, what I'm getting. You know, it's not 100%. I think there's a lot of work going on, but if it's not act, active reps, I think it still has a ceiling person. That's just my personal belief. Um, I got you. I, I understood. It was a good call. So Rampage, highlight of Rampage, was Jonathan Grisham and Lee Moriarty for the Ring of Honor World title. This is not a surprise. This was the match that kind of, um, you know, stood out, stood out, jumped off the page as a potential show stealer. I think, obviously, it goes without saying that, you know, this match is just a version of what these two fellas can do. Um, it was kind of a, like a snapshot of what they're capable of broadly. I thought it was a wonderful showcase of Gresham, who I personally thought wrestled with a degree of polish and poise that I just think is remarkable. And I, I say this a lot, and we've, Gresham has become like a meme online. Now. It's weird. I don't really get it. But I just think he's just a brilliant pro wrestler to the point where I think the world of Lee Moreover, if you watch the way Gresham executes his stuff and the way that he's always on in between and when he's transitioning, to me, he's just on a different level. I really believe that. And I know that's kind of become increasingly a hot take and people have their fun at his expense. I just think he's brilliant. I really do. Such a smart wrestler. He has a unique style and something that's very much his own flavor. Um but it all feels grounded in, in its own way. It doesn't feel like it's breaking the kind of universe surrounding it. Um, he's just an outlier, stylistically, you know, and, and that fits perfectly with his frame. He's built like a tank, you know. He's, it's fun, man. It's really fun. That's something different. And this is what is so, you know, exciting about Gresham to me. When, when we were talking about him coming in, this is what stood out to me. He's like, there's so many great risks in the promotion, but he is something you can't really you know, points other guys that can do Jonathan Gresham like he can. Like, him and Zach Sabre Jr. have stylistic overlaps, but Jonathan Gresham's frame is the complete opposite of Zach's, you know? And the way he's built is the complete opposite. So, it's interesting. Um, he looked great here, I thought. I really did. Again, I'm not saying it's a slight lead. I just thought he really shined. Nonetheless, um, there was something I wanted to bring up about Lee. I'll get to that after. I'll talk about it on the green a little bit. But yeah, I thought the match was really good. Again, not like, you know, a match of the year or one for your spreadsheet or whatever, but I think that's what they were going for. Um, Lee Moriarty, I talked about this on on the uh, on the Grin on Friday, which you can watch at latenightgrin.com for just $1. Uh, 
It went about four and a half hours on Friday. Um, I find Lee to be in a kind of unique middle ground right now as a wrestler. Because to me, he's clearly above being a guy that you just beat on TV. I think he's better than that, and he's more... Honestly, I think he connects with the people at a higher level. I think he's works better than that, and I think he's shown personality to be above that too. But I'm not sure he's quite where he needs to be to get the full-on actual serious push. So he's kind of living in this sort of bridge between right now, you know, and he's floating around. Sometimes he's on. With this next week's Rampage, he'll have been on three straight Rampage episodes. Um, it's interesting. I, I, it's like... I can't put my finger on it, but he feels like he's between those two roles, which is saying there's kind of a, a dangerous spot, a precarious spot to be in an AEW, I think. Luckily, Ring of Honor should solve that because he's perfect for a push in Ring of Honor. He fits that mold perfectly. Um, but it is, you know, it's interesting. Stokely, do you do this or not? I'm really torn on it because a part of me, I love the idea of Stokely having a whole kind of, you know, Heenan family-esque faction. But I must admit, now that he has the baddies, I kind of wouldn't want to water that down by having him have just, like, guys alongside those. You know, like, that's like an actual faction rather than – or an actual group. And actually, yes, an actual faction rather than, like, a big stable. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure how I feel about just doing those things separately. Like, he does a segment with the baddies and he's also ringside with the league. I don't know. I don't know what it would feel like if I would like it or not. I'm certainly intrigued by it. Um, my guess is he'll stay a babyface. That's my assumption. And I think that's okay in Ring of Honor. If he's staying in AEW and he's not going to do a lot of Ring of Honor work, which I think would be actually pretty surprising, I think he's made for Ring of Honor at this point in his career, um, then I would expect him to turn heel. So we shall see. Speaking of such, Stokely could very well just manage him in Ring of Honor. And if Lee's not around in AEW that much for the next couple of years, it would not be a problem. You could also just make Lee a baddie. Do you know? Maybe, maybe that's the answer. I will say, I don't know how I feel about um, the RH titles kind of placement on this show. I'm not here to do a big sort of whining session. I don't really, you know, it doesn't bother me or anything. But on this particular show, it feels like it should have main evented, right? I mean, I don't want to dismiss the spreadsheet metrics of of young Tony Khan. But I don't know if. Private Party versus Lucha Bros was pulling in such a court round this couldn't have closed, especially with Claudio coming out after. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something. It feels like it should have been the main event to me. Um, the Ring of Honor, you know, Gresham has just been in the middle of these shows thus far, which may be telling in terms of what's what's ahead of Gresham. I'm not sure he's kind of one that's a focal point of any plans, which, you know, we make these choices, it is what it is, but it kind of feels like I should have closed this show to me. But or opened it, as Andrew says, usually the best match is the, is the opener, but they, they were in the middle, they were just slotted here too. Um, which I think kind of I do think that stuff matters in terms of the audience's mind. I think it matters, but actually, I like the match a lot. Claudio is a is a wild choice. You gotta believe that Claudio is winning. Or at the very least, he ain't losing. They're going to do some sort of... I don't know what they're going to do, but it, it don't feel like he's losing. I'll be honest, I don't think he should lose. Um, him winning the world title is probably the story to tell. I would have told it a lot more patiently than <laughs> than it appears that they are going to. But ultimately, you know, I, I need to see what like what this TV deal looks like. Because there isn't a chance 
and I stress a chance, I do not know. But there is a chance this deal is going to be big enough that they feel they need to get the belt on someone who's more recognisable and more familiar. Um, and Claudio is certainly both of those things. So we'll see. I always think they like the idea of the Blackpool Combat Club kind of having belts. and That's fair because they're like the all-star squad, you know. Um, nonetheless, let's look elsewhere. Let's talk about that Rampage opener. Silver and Reynolds versus the Kings of the Black Throne, House of Black, whatever the hell we're calling them now. They're Julia Hart ringside. Um, this was a nice match. I liked it. I actually thought, you know, it was the right move to give Silver and Reynolds some because I think they're one of their best teams. And they're one of their, you know, they are an important team. They're a core part of the roster. They're not used that much right now. But if you look at the babyface teams, they, you know, I don't think they're the kind of guys you want to just slaughter here. I thought they gave them enough. And the other thing too is, you know, is hang on a second, hold the phone. I have warned Double J many times. But please, in this world, we make choices every day. You have just made the choice to compare Jeff Jarrett with Claudio Castagnoli. We can't do that. We can't do that, JJ. There must be a line. We cannot cross it. Jeff Jarrett has a good podcast. We cannot compare him with Claudio Castagnoli. We can't do it. Chat. Tommy Suicida said, the draft is in jeopardy. We have three months until the TNA draft. We cannot be putting it at this kind of risk. The contrarian Alex is booked for that draft. I cannot have to message him and say, Alex, you won't believe it. JJ has compared Jeff Jarrett to Claudio Castagnoli. We can't do the draft. He'd be devastated. Terrible shame. Hashtag do better. So anyway, Malachi, is, uh, he's got a certain aura and presentation that, like, you know, dude can stay over and be fine anyway. So he can bump for these dudes. It's like, it's whatever. The idea that it hurts him is so ridiculous. Um, I love the way they made a big deal of, of Brody bumping. Pop me. I love Brody's whole run in AEW, other than the Mox match I thought was just fine, like good, but not great. But he's working these tags has been spectacular. Um, JR, do not encourage JJ. Okay. What's about Silver and Reynolds now? Um, now, in terms of their TV usage, this is what they've done in 2022. Okay. Um, tag title shot in January on Rampage against Dress Express. They did a, uh, a battle royal. JJ, I'm just messing around, bro. Don't worry. Battle royal, tag battle royal on Dynamite, I believe. They worked alongside Hangman against Cole and Red Dragon on the Revolution Go Home. They wrestled the Jericho Appreciation Site in a main event, which I remember, but was puzzled by at the time, and I do not know what the explanation was for that. But that was a thing that happened. Um, also, they did this. Unless I'm missing something, that is everything they've done on TV in 2022. So they've not been particularly central. They've certainly not been very successful. And... Uh, I say all this to say, kind of weird, right? The kind of booking that would suggest to me, and maybe I'm being naive here, but it feels like something's coming, an angle of some sort. This is not me doing Wyndham bits here. I just, the way that segment was framed on with Hangman on Wednesday and the fact that we all think, you know, the Young Bucks are going to head back in Hangman's direction. It's like, what is, 
what's the idea with, with Sylvan Reynolds? Like, are they going to wear his heels? That feels like a strange choice in its own way, you know? I'm not sure. Um, I do think it's pretty striking, though, laying out what they've actually done on TV. Like, it's very few and far between, which is what it felt like. But, yeah. Um, House of Black, on the other hand, someone said it up here. I like this. I like this point someone said. Um... Let me scroll through the Jeff Jarrett, Claudio, Castagnoli bits. House of Black have sneakily become a big part of the programming. I like this phrasing, sneakily so. I do like this because I agree it feels like it's happened overnight. Because on this show, there was a brawl with Darby Allen, followed by a big-time face-off from Malachi and Steam that got, like, you know, a big reaction because it was like a video game matchup. And then they cut to Miro, who was doing his one of his promos about House of Black. Um... How these things are linked, I do not necessarily know. It may literally just be that Miro is going to team up with Darby and Sting for a trios, which is fucking incredible. What an insane TW matchup that is. Also, that means Sting is going to wrestle Buddy Matthews, and we're going to have to deal with the, the repercussions of Buddy inevitably retiring Sting with a shoot knee to the face, which would be difficult for our platform. But that feels like what we're going to get in some ways, right? Because it, it, just the way they linked these together was too, it was too apparent almost. Um... Miro's promo was unbelievable, by the way. So that'll be fun. House of Black, I agree with that point. Definitely feel like they're getting more important as we go here. Um, I just hope we get something kind of tangible. I like the teasing and stuff, but it's a little bit difficult for me in terms of what's actually happening and rather than what is being referenced and alluded to. That's why the Brody Derby stuff is such a nice change of pace because Beyond all the shit they're saying in their promos about needing people's respect, they ultimately they're just beating the fuck out of each other, which is, I mean, I can, I can rock with that. You know, they're wrestling Dynamite next week too, so that'll be a good time. Um, okay. Elsewhere. Athena and Chris Statlander beat the Renegade Twins. This was an impressive squash match. These two women probably have the best offense in the whole division, some of the best offense in the whole promotion. Athena is like... Good luck, man. You get asked to work a squash match with her. Good luck. It was actually, it caught Jericho off guard. He was popping on commentary how hard she was hitting <laughs> Renegade Twins. And Chris is a powerhouse, obviously. Um, I have to say, though, more matches. We need it from both from both parties. Athena has been in the promotion now for six weeks, seven weeks. Has had two matches on Rampage. This being one of them, it went like a minute. I, I think they've been featured regularly enough. They ain't like a terrible thing. But Athena needs to be in there wrestling. At the very least, give us the baddies tag. You know, I can't believe we haven't got to that yet. Um, kind of strange, right? That's, that was a weird deal. I, I, I'm surprised we haven't got to that. Unless I'm, like, forgetting something. I don't know. Am I forgetting a match? It feels like they did this match. Someone in the chat tell me. <laughs> anyway. Um, then, post-match, didn't they do a deal where Willow was involved? Someone help. Was Willow involved in this at some point? Did they introduce Willow and say she was their friend too? Oh. They did an angle post-match. Um, this is actually a good point, Jason. I'm glad you reminded me of this. Yes, that's absolutely it. The uh, the Renegades do a really good job. I'm not surprised they were given the match they were against Ruby. I say they because they were both involved in it. Um, I'm pretty sure Robin was the one that was in the match, but the other one made, you know, did an angle and stuff. But I don't think there's something there. The same was, was with Willow. Maybe it was because of Demon Grimmage. Maybe because Red got hurt. I you know, went away from that. <clears throat> I don't know. Anyway. The post-match angle was one of the funniest things they've ever done in the history of the promotion. I still can't believe what I saw here. It was fucking hilarious. I mean, it was it was bad, but like not 
you know, like TV breaking away. It was just kind of dumb and insane. But like the heels run out and just kick the shit out of the baby faces. And like not in like a brawl, like like back in the olden days, Rick Rude sometimes would get a little bit caught up in the heat of things. And we just it was like in the middle of a brawl, we just kind of start beating guys up and be like, Jesus, man, you put them apart a bit quicker than you intended. That wasn't what happened. There wasn't brawling. Like they just came out, Kira kicked Chris in the knee, and Jay just picked Afrina <laughs> up and just fucking threw her. It was presented in a way where it, the way it was presented, you think that Athena and Chris had just had a 10 minute match and were tired. But in reality, it was like a full on save and running. In fact, there are very few saves and runnings in promotional history where the heels have been bumped as quickly as the baby faces were bumped here. This actually was like performance art to me. This was like a satirical take on the wrestling cliches, you know? It was hilarious. I don't know. It sure feels like the TBS title stuff has kind of faded some. I, I actually agree with this. This week, it definitely felt like Athena and Chris were a backdrop to the baddies in a turmoil, which, you know, whatever. Um, it was strange, man. It was strange. The shot of Jade and Kira running down, it was fucking weird. I don't know. Strange deal. Um, speaking of strange deals, the main event, Lucha Bros and Private Party, I like Private Party a lot. Part of why I like them is because in the, their time in AEW, they have added, uh, you know, a kind of more traditional tag team style to their game. If you can go, you know, if you watch some of their C show, there's one match in particular with, with I, I'm pretty sure it was a team of Sean Dean and Carly Bravo last year um, that was like striking in how just conventional it was. It was an old school heel tag team match. And it was really good. Heel tag team performance, I should say. It's really good. And I remember being very encouraged by this because I'm aware of how much they work with, um, you know, with uh, FTR. So it struck me this, you know, that's saying they've been working on. They've obviously struggled to get rhythm. There's been a lot of injuries and a lot of issues, and that is what it is. The issue of everything I just said about the, you know, more conventional parts of tag team wrestling is that that is not really the Lucha Bros back. Um, I think that was proven in the FTR feud of matches that I actually liked. But they wasn't, you know, the ceiling of which you may have expected. So what you got here was there was some nice stuff in this match. It was not a disaster. But they made a hot tag here at some point. Penta was the one who made the hot tag, I want to say. I know that Penta slipped on the road, which like, shit happens, right? But there's a stretch of this match, like, that was about as disjointed as, like, good wrestling in the modern times gets. And when I say good, I mean in like the, you know, what we always believed to be, you know, the style, you know, the the, the star rating style. I don't even mean it as a pejorative, I just mean it is what it is, right? Like the move-heavy, sequence-reliant style. This was about as disjoint as it will get between pros, uh, especially talented pros like this. It felt like they would do something and reach an absolute screeching halt and then have to reset. And it happened over and over again in this one run of action. It was bizarre. They lost their way. Shit happens, right? Then you get to, and it, and this is, I mean, Elliot brings it up in the chat, and it can't be overstated. It's art. It's one of the great moments in the history of the business. I still do not know what this was, and if anyone has an answer, please tell me. But Roosh did a run in. Um, he came in the ring, and he whacked Penter in the back of the head. He did this in a way that pushed Penta in Bryce Ramsberg's direction. 
And then he, Bryce looked at him and he got out of the ring. And then we cut to the to the hard camera where Penta hit a move on, on I forget, I, it doesn't matter, honestly. One of the poor party gentlemen who I mean, made a little fool here. Penta hit a DDT on one of them or something and headed up and then he, you know, brought Phoenix in for the tag finish. What happened? What was the idea? Bob O'Neill. Oh, yes, it was very funny. Very, very funny. Um, I was convinced Phoenix got his bell rung and Penta had to cover. But what... <laughs> But what does that, how does that help us? I don't. But then why would why did Penta not sell the the strike though? I get that Bryce spotted Bruce because he was he's like a you know he charged in, but why did he not sell it? Why did he go into offer? What was the what was the actual constructed finish? Is what I'm getting at. Because the way it happened on TV, Bruce threw him into a Canadian destroyer. That fucking rules. Didn't he do like a DDT? He threw him into it. That's what he did, maybe. So he hit him and he shit canned him into it. But rather than bumping, Penta countered into a Canadian destroyer while while Roosh was out of the ring. Is that what happened? I'm, I'm at your mercy, guys. I genuinely don't know. I'm actually asking. It's very funny. I mean, it's one of the most ridiculous finishes in the history of professional wrestling, but pop me, huh? Um, I assume this feud is going somewhere. I think Andrade just got cleared, so hopefully we do the tag match sooner or later, so we don't have to just keep doing stuff like this. But um, it was quite the deal. I do not know. This is a good theory. I like this. Um, I think the idea was TK wanted to annoy JR as much as possible in 20 seconds. He finally gets a riff to see a run, and this happens. That's good. I like that. Now I can work with that. Yeah, fair. I don't know, guys. I, I understand the Roosh um, part of this. I, I'm aware, but it kind of feels like there's more pieces to this puzzle than just Roosh being Roosh. I mean, I was very aware of who that dude we, we talked about on the shows, right? It is what it is. I, was, I thought it was kind of puzzling to bring him in. I think it's very telling that he got the paper appearance, but I still think there's more to this than, than perhaps just him being Roosh. Uh, this was fucking weird in construction, I think. But it was also clearly an edit of some kind. So I don't know what, God forbid, what the original tape looked like. I don't know. Anyway, a couple of different pieces there kind of made Rampage less impressive than the norm, I would say. Um, and the show's usually better than this. But it was still fine. I like seeing Gresh out there. I'm excited for the Claudio match. All right. A couple last things before we go. <laughs> Don A. Martin and J.D. Drake, that's the one to watch for you guys. If you don't watch the C-shows and you're interested in one match, that was a really nice match. He gave J.D. quite a lot. They actually went about eight minutes, I want to say. They had a nice match, and it was good. Don had a pretty nice week on that front. Um, that was Monday, I want to say, and Tuesday, Russell Comero, obviously, this was taped in different, but that was his week. Uh, obviously, you know, next week he was wrestling, he's wrestling Moriarty, but the Comoroto Comor match was pretty good too, actually, so... Cold Dante uh, highlights on the C shows. Dark was really interesting. You got two um, international affairs, right? Is that what we call them? I don't know. Yamashita and, and Thunder Rose, which we, of course, reviewed on last Monday's Toko Joshi Pro Review. Tremendous match. Um, and Pack and Show Umino, which took place in Sheffield, I believe. 
uh, which was very good. I actually was stunned how hard Pack worked in that match. The match was damn good, and they went like nearly 20 minutes. So there was a lot of good wrestling on Dark, even if it not, you know, much of it wasn't emanating from the famed Universal Studios, the two best matches, but even still, you know. Um, there you go. Next week, finally, Eddie Kingston, Chris Jericho, barbed wire everywhere. Very funny, that branding. I don't know what the deal is because it still says deathmatch. Um, does it say my name? Oh, I can't see it because my phone's covering it. Sorry, confirmed shoot. Hang on. Let me, I'll, I'll go there. Don't worry. Here we go. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Fleet Week. A big week for AEW. Fighter Fest was one hell of a show. Obviously, I reviewed this show on Wednesday, so, you know, I've covered a lot of the, the topics at hand, but even still, this, you know, let's get into it. Um, swerving our glory, claiming the tag team titles. Triumphant moment, man. Very, very special. Um, I'm a big fan of impromptu, you know, surprising title changes. I think they struggle to do those. Um, Dynamite was very, very good. Rampage was less good. Uh, but on next week's, AEW Dynamite, Shark Week edition. Is next week a branded show or is it just Shark Week? I don't know. Anyway, in all seriousness, I did a poll before this show. You may have voted in it. Poll read as follows. Let me pull up at Joe Holbert. Very good follow. Is it Firefest 2? It is, right? I thought I made that up earlier. I was very confused. Um, I had a poll which was Jericho Kingston is Fire Fest week two. There you go. Fire Fest is now four shows, like a whole tour. I tweeted, barbed wire everywhere, the actual blow-off, question mark. The options were as follows. Yes, obviously, dumb fuck. Or no, obviously, dumb fuck. This only had 10 minutes here. 35 folks voted. This is what the results were. Are you ready? 54%. Of those 35 folks tweeted, yes, obviously dumb fuck, meaning it is in fact the blow-off. Which means 46% are alongside me and absolutely refusing this idea. Because this is Chris Jericho and we are only six weeks away from pay-per-view. Five weeks even. Ain't happening. Um, Jericho, of course, in this week's pro did say it's the final fight. The last one. The end. And I sat home and every time he said it, I said, nope. Not getting me, Chris. To me, that just means the hill's going to win and it's going to be his end. I think Eddie's going to get ready to end. So my guess is this ends it all out. Um, we shall see. I have honestly no problem either way. The feud has been good enough that I'm happy to extend it another six weeks. It, it genuinely doesn't bother me. Um, but, you know, I think it would probably <laughs> probably would be a relatively smart idea to end it here. You know, I think it's fair to say. But I'm excited for it. I think these are two of the guys in the world of wrestling that it can pull off this kind of match. Because remember, this does not have the admittedly unpredictable pomp and circumstance of the exploding barbed wire death match. This is gruesome brutality, but it's drama. Um, the actual violence itself is much more blunt than the alternative. But if you use the kind of theatrics of this match and you use this structure to, to create those kind of will-he-won't-he moments of guys teetering, I think you can create something special. I think if any two wrestlers can pull that off, it's these two lads that's deep in their career who have figured it out and understand 
you know, what that is. And beyond any of that, are super, super over. So there's going to be a certain level of emotion investment. So um, I'm looking forward to it, mostly in a very nerdy, I'm excited to see what they do with it way, because clearly this insight has been pitched now. I'm pretty sure they've both, you know, they're both, you know, excited to do this. So we shall see barbed wire everywhere. Deathmatch. It's still a deathmatch. It's just now barbed wire everywhere. I don't actually know what that means. It is worth knowing. Um, I'm talking like this is a match where the ropes are barbed wire. It may just be barbed wire is on the floor. I don't know. Um, it's just very funny. They keep saying barbed wire everywhere. Nonetheless, I hope you guys enjoyed Fleet Week, even with my nameplate on for 66 minutes of the show. I do not think there will be any shows tomorrow. I'm going to be back tonight at Wrestle Pierce. I'm going to be back tomorrow at Wrestle Pierce, but I do not believe there will be any shows on the late night room because, you know, it's been a busy week. Let's take tomorrow. Let's reset. Let's attack the bird Tuesday through Friday, as we usually do. 10 a.m. Eastern, latenightgrim.com. You can sign up. Just $1 gets you access to everything, including all the audio files for those many shows. We hope you watched yesterday um, LNG main event, the premiere. Right, we watched with Rick Flair and Kevin Von Erich, and we're going to be watching a whole lot of old school wrestling each Saturday, 6.05 Eastern, very fittingly so. So you can watch that from yesterday if you haven't already. Tuesday, not only is the Burt back, but Grim Grappler, Bret Hart, the SummerSlam edition is here. So that'll be a good time kicking off our two weeks of sort of bizarre SummerSlam content that will be coming along the way. It won't be all SummerSlam, don't worry. But there'll be like stuff popping up along the way. So we have that to look forward to. Um... I feel like I'm forgetting something. Maybe I am. I don't know if it matters. Nonetheless, keep grinning. I'm sure there'll be many shows. Keep updated at Late Night Grin or at Joe Holbert. Um, so on and so forth. All of the many things I often say when I announce stuff at the end of shows. Have a good day. Have a good conclusion to your weekend. And I'll probably see you guys, if not over at WrestlePress, on the Late Night Grin on Tuesday for the bird. So... See you guys then. Oh, how enjoy this outro.